Good morning. Uh, if you're here earlier and you caught Mario's announcement that yes, today is a standalone sermon, meaning that it's not a part of a sermon series. And uh, if you're into sermon series, then I do encourage you to come back next week as we are going to begin that series called Wayward out of the book of Hosea from the Old Testament. So uh, we do sometimes preach these standalone questions where there's an issue and a question that gets asked, and we try to address that from a biblical standpoint. And that is exactly what we're going to try to do today. And so I, here's the question for us as we jump right in. Why can't I stop sinning? That's the question. Why I can't stop sinning? It's one of the most common questions a sincere Christian usually makes at some point in their Christian journey. And it's a good question to ask. It's the kind of question that keeps getting asked over and over again. Certainly, I've heard lots of new Christians ask it, and even the long-time Christians, they keep asking it. Some questions are worth being asked repeatedly. This is one of those questions. It's a serious question, especially, like, if you would imagine yourself reading the Bible, and I realize you should do more than just imagine that you read the Bible, like, you should be reading it. But imagine that you were reading the Bible and you come along to 1 John, say, chapter 3, verse 6, and you read these words. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And then you keep on reading and you get down to verse 9 where it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he was born of God. And you read words like that, and you think, wait, I profess to be of God, and I keep sinning. That's why this question, why can't I stop sinning, is so commonly asked, it's so frequently asked, and I would say so seriously asked. And the truth is, the answer isn't complicated. It's extremely straightforward, but it is brutally honest. The hard part, the difficult part, the complicated part is applying this answer in a way that God intends for it to be in our lives. That's the challenging part. So this morning, we are going to try and attempt to give sin a definition. Aren't you glad you came? The topic of sin. Lance started it with talking about how bad the world is, so just going with it. We're going to try to define sin and then answer the question and title of this sermon, Why Can't I Stop Sinning? And then make some points of application. That's the goal for today. Let's start with defining sin. And to do that, it's really important to let the Bible define sin and not us. Anyone know why that might be important? Because our human tendency is to make some things sinful and other things not sinful. But the Bible, it provides this objective standard that we need. If the Bible says that something is sin, then we must agree with that assessment. We must align ourselves with what the Bible says. And I think it's also important to say this. If the Bible does not say something is a sin and it violates no biblical principle, 
then we are free to form our own convictions about it. And we have certainly seen how that works inside of the church. To get us started, I want us to look at just this very short video that I found as I was studying. I thought, oh, that gets us to a good start. So let's start defining sin like this. The word sin appears almost 400 times in the Bible. What is sin exactly? The simplest answer is that sin is disobedience to God. Sin can be thought of as committing a spiritual crime. Most of us do not think of ourselves as criminals. We tend to think of crime in terms of murder, theft, arson, drunk driving, and so on. However, even those of us who have not committed any of these crimes are still spiritual criminals even if our worst offense is telling a lie. The Bible says that all people have sinned. Often we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are good people because we don't commit the worst kinds of sin. If we compare ourselves to each other, this might be a valid conclusion. In reality, it does no good to compare ourselves to one another because this is not the yardstick that God measures by. He does not grade on the curve. The prophet Isaiah said, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In the sight of God, even our good deeds are like something filthy because they are mingled with all the sins we have committed. Tragically, the whole world is full of sin. What makes something sin? The Bible teaches that the basic concept of sin is the idea of missing the target. What target is it that God expects us to hit? To answer this, let's consider a question that was asked of Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets have these two commandments. Jesus said the greatest commandment is that we are to love God. The second is similar to it. We are to love one another. This is the target that God wants us to aim for. So, Throughout the Bible, the most common way that sin is talked about is by missing the mark, missing the target, missing the standard that God sets. And when we do that, it is called disobedience to God. 1 John 3, 4 even takes it a step further with perhaps the most direct definition of sin in the entire Bible. And it says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And then here's the definition. Sin is lawlessness. That word translated lawlessness comes from the Greek word anomia, which means an utter disregard for God and his law. Lawlessness is a word that defines sin. Actually, the Bible uses several words to define sin. Here are some of them. Words like ungodliness, transgression, trespass, iniquity, unrighteousness, and the flesh. These are all words used by the Bible to define sin. Then in addition to these words throughout the Bible, we can find examples of sin. Sometimes we find these examples of sins in long listings found in this Bible, like Galatians chapter 5. Turn in your Bible to Galatians 5, and I want you to see one of these long listings that we're given. Galatians 5 19 through 21. And it says, now the works of the flesh, that's another way of saying, now the works of sin, they are what? They are obvious. Well, that wasn't very good. They are what? They're obvious. Now, obvious means this is not going to be hard to figure out. This is going to be obvious what 
examples we have of missing the mark. And here's the list. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So this is not the complete list. There are more. This gives a lot, though. And now look how Paul ends this listing of sins. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, I will say, it is verses like this, comments made like this, found in the Bible, that make the questions like, why can't I stop sinning so common and so concerning and taken so righteously, taken so, so seriously? I mean, this, and rightfully so. Do this and don't get this. So, definition of sin. And I encourage you to use the Bible's words for it, and I encourage you to put it in a sentence that is your sentence. And so here is a sentence that I am giving it. Sin is any thought, any attitude, any word, any action that misses the mark and violates God's law and his standards and his principles. Sin is a condition of the heart that is bent away from God in preference to other things. And all of us have this nasty heart condition. That's the one thing that we all have in common. Which leads to the question then, why can't I stop sinning? And before we answer that, there are two things that we must quickly get past that we often try to use as an excuse. It does not make things better. It actually makes it worse. Two things that we cannot put here as the answer. One, we must stop blaming others. And two, we must stop blaming the devil. Other people, other things are not the reason we sin. And the devil didn't make us do it either. Those two excuses, they've been around from the very start. When God asked Adam, why did you eat the forbidden fruit? And what does Adam do? He blames. Not only does he blame Eve, but he really blames God. This woman that you gave me, she influenced me. She made me do it. Adam, that is not correct. Now, don't get me wrong. Can people influence us? Definitely. They can influence us in a negative way. Certainly they can. It is important how we make friends, <clears throat> excuse me, and, how, and who we hang out with. Absolutely. Definitely. No doubt about it. But at the end of the day, it is our own responsibility that we are responsible for. And when God asked Eve, why did you eat the fruit from the tree of life? Eve blames the devil. And to that, I just have to say, police. If we give an answer like that, it only proves one thing, 
that we are the great, 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 great grandchildren of our grandparents, Adam and Eve. That kind of excuse, it did not work in the Garden of Eden then, and it does not work now. Yes, the devil and his demons tempt us to sin. Take him very seriously. Flee from him. Yes, the devil is roaming, and he's looking to devour. But claiming the devil made me do it is far too often used as an excuse for our bad choices. James 1.14, each person is tempted. Tempted whether that be by others, other things, or the devil himself. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by what? His own evil desires. So we must quickly get past the notion that others or that the devil made us sin. That is not why we sin. So if that's not, then why is it? Why is it that we do keep sinning? And for that, it's very straightforward. The reason we sin and the reason we keep sinning is because we are sinners. We are plagued by it. We are infected with sin. It is so naturally a part of our lives. It is as if it is deeply and permanently just branded right into our soul. It's as natural for people to sin as it is to breathe. Are you breathing? Pretty naturally. We sin the same exact way. Look at some of these excerpts that I've taken from Romans chapter 3. These will just make your day. Here's a chart for us. Verse 10, no one is righteous, not even one. Verse 11, no one seeks after God. Verse 12, no one does what is good, not even one. Now, aren't you glad that you came to hear this kind of cheery news, good news this morning? I was thinking, what does Mario say about verses like these? Like, these aren't the kind of verses that make it to the coffee mugs. And these aren't the greeting cards we share with one another. They certainly aren't the scripture that we have listed on the fridge right next to the family photo. But the truth is, Christians keep sinning because Christians are sinners. That's just the brutal, honest answer. Our DNA is to sin and to sin and to sin and to sin and to keep sinning. And yet, I'm also aware that there are, within Christian circles, there's an idea that Christians can live perfectly sinless lives. Sometimes this idea is called sinless perfection or entire sanctification. Have you ever heard of that? Right. I, I don't believe it. Um, you can, and we can talk about those things back and forth, but they will use verses like Galatians 5.16. I mean, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and look, new things have come. And often, what do we do with the references that Jesus makes when he gives to someone and when he says, go and sin no more? And the reasoning there might be that certainly Jesus wouldn't tell them to do something that they weren't capable of doing it. Again, as I said, I, I don't believe that this is what these verses actually imply for that. I think they do mean that, that in, a, in our position, we are this. 
We are going to be this, but in practicality, now, under these circumstances, and with sin nature still a part of us, that this does not happen. I'm a little skeptical about it. I mean, if we were to follow around a person who claims to live a sinless life, how long would we need to follow that person before the idea gets debunked? Earlier in the first sermon, someone said, maybe a day. And I don't know if it would take that long. The Bible only mentions one person as sinless. Take a wild guess who it is. That's always the right answer in church, right? Jesus. It seems that throughout the Bible, the Bible goes out of its way to describe Jesus as the one and only one who is sinless and everyone else as sinful. Like there is not one Bible character outside of Jesus given as an example of a sinless life. Name someone. We just don't have it. It's, It's not Abraham. It's not Paul. It's none of the disciples. Zero. But there are plenty of verses like Romans chapter 3 that we just looked at those excerpts and verses like Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. That's the central theme all throughout the Bible. Jesus taught the same thing once when he was teaching people how to pray in probably his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. When Jesus says debts, what is he referring to? Money? No, he's referring to sin. The reason Jesus instructs us to ask him for forgiveness on a daily basis, and the reason Jesus instructs us to forgive one another on a daily basis is because sinning is happening on a daily basis. And then there's one other concept that I think of here, this idea of living a sinless life. As skeptical as I am to the idea, I am also swayed by people in my life that are spiritually mature. People that I I personally know, personally have relationship with, watch them, see them, and also people that that I just enjoy. I enjoy reading their books, listening to them teach or preach. These people, they would never claim sinlessness in their lives. They would never claim this, I have fully arrived mentality. They would always confess, there's room for growth. There's room for improvement. And I think as you look through this Bible, see in scripture that this is the kind of attitude that is consistent with what the Bible teaches. Now, there are probably many points of application that we can make from sin and why we keep sinning. I have just three of them for you today. And to be honest, they are three that as I was studying throughout the week, I needed these. I needed to hear these. I need to apply this. And I just passed them on to you, and I hope that they can help help you as well. One, why can't I stop sinning? Because I can't stop sinning, confess sin regularly and keep on confessing them. As believers, 
we must honestly admit our tendency is to sin. And then let me just give some encouraging words to you because they were encouraging to me. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now just take a couple of seconds and let that verse sink in. We are sinning and we are confessing to God. And God, because he is faithful, forgives us. But not only does he just forgive us, but he also takes away our unrighteousness and gives us righteousness. This is why it is so important to confess sin as soon as we, re- as soon as we recognize it. Instead of justifying sin, instead of denying it, Instead of having sin stack upon sin over and over and over, it is so important that we confess sin. Because what happens when we let sin just start stacking one upon the other? I think it really damages and hurts our relationship with God. And we become cold and callous to him and his word and his standards and his laws. The word confess simply means admitting admitting a sin. And when we confess our sins to God, we are agreeing with him that we have broken his law. And anyways, what is the first step to recovery? Admitting that you have a problem. Admitting the sin. And so the application here for me is just as I made it, just as I make the regular daily habit of eating meals and brushing my teeth, so should I be confessing sin on a daily habit. Two, application, strive for perfection, but be satisfied with progression. The Bible does not teach live perfect. The Bible teaches live perfect progressing. We are a people under construction. If you think about this, we live our lives the same exact way as this. We strive for perfection in a lot of areas of our life. I want the perfect job. I want the perfect relationship with with my wife. We want perfect relationship with our spouse. We want the perfect body. And how's all that working? Like we pursue that all while understanding this notion it ain't happening. I mean, did I just confess I don't have the perfect marriage? Well, Sherry was here at the 915, and she would agree. And maybe you do, and I will be glad to take marriage counseling from you. But I think the reality of that is, is it doesn't happen. We have the expectation for that, and it doesn't happen. A lot of you know that I am a sports guy. I'm competitive, whether I'm coaching or playing, and I want to win. I want every game to be perfect. And isn't that just delusional? I mean, after the first shot the team takes, we miss it. No longer a perfect game. But if you're a sports fan, fanatic, then you know what I'm talking about. Every year you want your team to win every game. It just doesn't happen. And the same is true for our Christian life. Strive for perfection. But be satisfied with continual progression. We keep working at it. 
we keep trying not to sin. We certainly do not just throw up our hands and go, oh, well, can't deal with it, can't do it. Might as well just quit. No, quitting is not an option in Christianity. There's this Holy Spirit that keeps pushing us towards. Keep working at it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And I want this verse to be encouraging to you. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. A supplement. Supplement means add to it. Right? So it's, it's growing. Add what to your faith? Goodness. And goodness with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with endurance. And endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these are your qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be growing in your faith. Be progressing Certainly, strive for perfection, but have the reality check in place. Progress. Keep growing. And the last application. Live each day as if it will be your last day of sinning. Because one day that'll be true. In other words, look forward to Jesus coming back. Look forward to that. Lance is at the birthday party and all this, oh boy, the world is falling apart. Yeah, but look forward. Jesus is coming back. He's going to fix everything that is broken, including my sin, your sin, everyone's sin. It'll all come to an end. Live with this kind of anticipation that there is a day coming when sin and sinning will be no more because Jesus is coming back. I grew up in church singing a hymn saying that, Jesus is coming again. Anyone know that lyrics in the hymns there? I'm going to share the lyrics with you right now, if you don't. If you do and you want to sing and hum along, have at it. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, Wonderful words of the king. Jesus is coming again. Chorus. Coming again. Coming again. Maybe morning. Maybe noon. Maybe evening. And maybe soon. Coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. Give you the full effect of verse 2 and 3. Forest and flower exclaim. Mountain and meadow the same. All earth and heaven proclaim, Jesus is coming again. Standing before him at last, trial and trouble, like sin, all past. Crowns at his feet we will cast. Jesus is coming again. And I can't wait. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that so plainly describes you and your greatness and your worthiness and your holiness and your word that so plainly describes us. Sinners, broken and needy. Needy for a savior. Needing something perfect to cover the gap of our sinfulness. Sinfulness. 
And we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect answer. So Lord, I would ask that we would be encouraged uh, with this idea of sin and why I keep on sinning in a way that it causes us to be aware of it and that we would confess it and that we would press on in a way of striving for excellence, striving for perfection, but also give us an attitude of being satisfied of how your Holy Spirit is progressing in our lives. And oh, let us talk often and be looking forward to the day that your son Jesus comes back. It is for his name we ask this. Amen.